Welcome back to episode 39 of the Back Pocket Banner podcast. We've had players, but now we're going on to another level, chatting with a manager. We're excited to introduce arguably the best and most well-known AFL sports manager and owner of Connor Sports Management. We welcome Paul Connors. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thanks for having us, boys. A bit flat that I'm number 39, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try better and uh, see how we go. But uh, thanks for having us, Blair and Connor. No, no I appreciate it. So um, for a start, I'll take you back a bit. So growing up, were you always kind of interested in sport and footy in particular? Um, yeah, I was always, you know, go back to, you know, I was the baby of five kids and, you know, it feels like yesterday I was running around as a 10-year-old. We used to have these games in the local street across the road at the school. They were called the Windermere Football League. So um, Shivers, that's 40 years ago and they were just yeah. a great day. Sunday and used to play cricket all day, every day across the road at um, some family friends at Mitchell's. And so I loved cricket and footy. I was probably more obsessed with cricket than footy as a youngster. I was probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was, but, you know, I love it. Yeah. Batsman, bowler, a bit of an all-rounder or? <laughs> I still play cricket a bit today with my sons for Glen Iris Cricket Club. Yeah. Um, I'm a great talker, I say. Um, yeah. My son's yeah. giving me of slack about a bit of a uh, whack about how bad my batting average is so he thinks I'm, I'm uh, no good so I'm a good I'm the captain and I'm a good talker and I can set fields and that's about it but uh, batter, yeah. I'm a, as a junior I was a batter yeah no, good strategically yeah. yeah so was there any other sports that you played other than uh cricket and footy you said they were probably the two that you really loved Oh, just growing up, I think, it, you know, I threw my hand at everything. You know, I can't swim. That's one thing. But I, I like tennis and golf, but never great at them. But just love golf now. Yeah. Um, but it was really footy cricket back then, you know. Yeah. Uh, what AFL club did you support growing up? I was a Tiger, like tiger. myself. Yeah. yeah. That's good um, to hear. gets complicated now because um, – yeah, you know, hand on heart, I was probably barracking for Geelong in the grand final um, because of Patrick Dangerfield, and that's what happens in the game. You, yeah, you, um, you try and get as many of your players as possible to win premierships, and yeah, you know, I dearly love Patrick Dangerfield to win a premiership. Yeah, yeah. And I guess Tigers have kind of had their. I think lots of people were going for Geelong because we've had a bit of success in the last few years. So yeah, would have been good. To I don't see Richmond going away anytime soon with their team. Um, yeah. They're really well placed, I think, for the next five years. Yeah, I yeah. guess you suffered for a while there back in the day, but now it's. Um, yeah, no, being a tiger wasn't as good as your your time. Yeah, yeah. You had to be resilient to be a tiger back in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Our dad oh. brainwashes and he's experienced all the, <laughs> all of the yeah. pain. Yeah, after that eighty premiership, it was it was a fair lean run for a while, but uh, they picked yeah. it up, which is yeah, it's good to see. Very cool, Potter. Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm Richmond well. Richmond yeah. as well. So yeah, no, nah, pretty much the pretty much the whole family except uh, mum's a bomber, but yeah, the rest of us are all Richmond, so yeah, it's it worked out well. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. What, oh. yeah, what career did you want to pursue when you were younger and as you grew up? Yeah, as a youngster I actually wanted to be a PE teacher. Uh, yeah. so I reckon in year ten I did some work experience as a PE teacher and um, I, 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 you know, I just fell into the career. Really, I, I studied accounting at school, um, even though accounting was my worst subject. But I, I then did. I worked as an accountant for about three or four years, and that I think that's put me in good stead to doing what I did do today. That's yeah. for sure. But 
uh, growing up, PE teacher was, you know, something that tickled my fancy. Yeah. So you say you studied accounting at uni. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Studying um, Bachelor of Business, majoring in accounting at um, Caulfield. Uh, it was called Chisholm back in those days, but now Monash Uni. Yeah. A really good, good broad degree, I think. It's um, something I recommend to people, you know, today who speak to me about, you know, potentially going down a career path of sports management. Yeah, sure. Yeah, when would you say you really thought about uh, getting into sports management? Was it still in school? Uh, with your, how you, yeah. Not really. It wasn't really back in vogue then. I mean, um, you know, player management wasn't big at all. Ron Joseph was doing it. Uh, there were a couple, Peter Jess and, and Ricky Nixon was just starting out and Craig Kelly. I My first taste of it, I don't know if um, it's really put anywhere, but I, I helped Hawthorne. Um, raise funds for their footy trip, which sounds crazy today because, you know, there's no real footy trips allowed anymore. But that yeah. was my my job back then. I became close to Jason Dunstall and he recommended me to Ricky Nixon. So in about 1996, I worked for Ricky till um, September 1999. Yeah, And touching on that, obviously, you did work with him. What was that like as he was obviously and like a massive name in the industry at the time, really? Yeah, Ricky, Ricky and I've been speaking to Ricky recently. We, technically, Ricky was brilliant. And, um, you know, I've said publicly a number of times I've got to thank Ricky for my start in the in the business. Um, it just was a strange, you know, and it still is a bit different, the, the industry. So you've got to recognise that. And um, there's a lot of personal touch. And uh, But, you know, back then we had a thing called the Club, Club 10, which was just amazing. I was just talking about it last night with... Mike Sheen, who's um, who's one of the most famous journalists that you guys should try and get on a podcast. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he was the chief footy writer of the Herald Sun. He, the the media room at the AFL is called the Mike Sheen room. So there you go. But we were talking about Club Ten. It had the likes of Gary Ablett, Tony Modra, Glenn Jakovic, Wayne Carey, and it was a who's who of the big names. And you know, I remember sitting in a room with you know, and Gary Ablett, you know, in Kingsway, Melbourne. Um, pretty eye-opening for a 26-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah it's so pretty surreal kind of experience, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Ricky Nixon um, got you into the, well, you like sports management, but he actually sort of gave you the opportunity to yep. uh, pursue it and start it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what was the motivation? Obviously, after a while you went on your own and you started your own business. What was the motivation behind that move to start out in your own um, I really didn't have a real clue what I was doing, to be fair. My my wife um, was about to have a baby in the next month in October, who's, you know, Charlie, my oldest boy, is now 21. Yeah. Um, and I was just a young, um, not, not no, naive probably, but just a young up-and-coming, you know, buck who wanted to have a crack. And um, I don't know really why, just, uh, you know, Ricky and I, had a few different ideas of where the businesses were going and um, I just decided to have a crack and, you know, obviously Ricky and I didn't see eye to eye on that for a while. We're a lot better now. Um, But, yeah, I I just had a crack and it worked out really well. I think it might be document. I might have said that I was lucky enough to to secure Luke Hodge, Luke Ball, Chris Judd all in the same draft and uh, that really set the business up on, on the way. Yeah, yep. I think we touched on that in yeah. like in a few um, questions, but 
Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get the business off the ground and get these uh, colleagues and clients on board at first? Oh, well, at the start, it was a, it was a one man operation. I remember, you know, um, got some really good friends who helped me out, Simon Meehan and John Fitzgerald, and I was able to work at the back of their, their offices in Brighton, um, in Victoria. And, um, they looked after me for a year rent-free and uh, what happened was there was, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 players who who, who followed me from um, Flying Start, which was Ricky Nixon's business, to Connor Sports. Um, I had to sell my house because there was no real income coming in because they, those players still owed Ricky money. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah well, re- I, was, I was really fortunate that I had a good crew of players already and then as we touched on, you know, we had the super draft of 1999. Yeah. 1999, 2000. Yeah. 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 And then, then obviously I started hiring a couple of people. Lucy Mills is one, you know, who I've got enormous time for and she worked with me for over 10 years and started as a a part-time after doing a sports management degree at Deakin University. Yeah. And another man down the track, John Turnbull worked for me um, for a number of years. He he was the head recruiter at Hawthorne who had to decide between Luke Hodge, Luke Ball and Chris Judd actually as the number yeah. one pick. Yeah. And then a few years later, he, um, you know, he came and worked for me. Yeah. 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 So as you touched on with that super draft, what was it like? Um, well, what is it like managing uh, the guys like Judd, Dangerfield, Hodge, um, and did it ever feel did it feel surreal when you first um, got with those guys? Even yeah, though only young fellas too, and you probably didn't know how good they'd be. That's no, well, you, you know, when you look back on it now, you just you, you. I think it's more surreal now than it was back then. Mm-hmm. Just at the time, you're in the moment. They're young. They're seventeen. You just don't know where they're going. I, I knew Luke Hodge was going to be a really special player, but he just took a couple of years. Um, to get going, and I know John Turnbull was under the pump a bit for choosing Hodgie over Juddy, um, but I think you know history says Hodgie was a pretty good pick. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hodgie used to work for the Tigers growing up as well, boys. Yeah, uh, there's a little trivia. Yeah, yeah, would be, yeah, would be pretty amazing now, like uh, seeing how their careers actually panned out, and thinking that uh, you managed those guys and uh, worked with those guys. Yeah, bef- yeah before um. As compared yeah. to the start when you didn't really know how good they were going to be or how far they'd go. Oh, we've still got a lot to do with Juddy, Hodgie and Borley. You know, I had breakfast with Luke Ball the other day and Hodgie still, we're still working with, with Channel 7 and Juddy's just given up Triple M, I think, this year. And um, So we've had a lot to do with it. I mean, I think Luke, uh, sorry, Luke Hodge and Chris Judd are going to walk straight in as Hall of Famers. Um, it's pretty yeah. cool, isn't it? And... Yeah, well, they were you know, some of the best players we've ever managed, that's for sure. Yeah, sure. And, and what, just great people, by the way, Blair and Connor. Yeah. Just, all three of them are wonderful people. Yeah, yeah. and that's what you want. It's um, yeah. Yeah, added bonus when you're picking a 17-year-old kid and you see them develop not only their career but as people as well. It's really yeah. good. Um, what generally kind of goes into getting a draftee to sign on to your company? Like what in the lead up to a draft, what kind of goes into that? Well, it can be a, it can be an enormous amount of work, or someone you might meet and it just clicks straight away. Yeah. Uh, with Luke Ball, there was a connection between 
um, the schools we attended and I knew his family and I had a relationship with his older brother, Matt. So that was a pretty, not simple, but, um, you know, it was a good, kind of clear. You know, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a good process that he didn't meet a 1,000 managers. Even Chris Judd, you know, was, was lucky that we, we, you know, he didn't meet a 1,000 managers. Whereas Luke Hodge, you know, I think I drove to Colac, you know, 15 times. I'm exaggerating a little there, but there was a lot of work put into Hodgie. And I remember I think he got it down to the last two between John Longmire and myself. So John Longmire used to work for IMG. I um, always thought he'd be a great coach and that was sort of my little angle that I thought he might go down coaching. Yeah. So I was glad, you know, very lucky that Luke Hodge chose, you know, chose us over IMG and, and John Longmire. Yeah, sure. Yeah, how how did you draw like, Hodgie, Luke, Ball, Juddy, Polak, Bartel, guys like that all from the top ten? Were they all um, did it all take a lot of preparation, or were a couple of those like you said, just simple meetings and and just yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot took a lot of work. I mean, even Graham Pollock, you just mentioned that he was picked four. You know, really lucky. Graham Pollock was the best mark, the best key player in the draft, and and West Coast had picked three boys, so we were really angling that. West Coast try and pick Pollack at three because I knew that Fremantle wouldn't pick Juddy at four and he'd slip through to five in the Saints. Yeah. So the Saints could have had Luke Ball and Chris Judd and yeah. you know, history says I think they'd have a couple of premierships. Yeah. Um, they, West yeah. Coast, yeah, West Coast were really staunch on that they had Juddy, the best player in the draft, and I think they're pretty happy with Juddy you know, playing for them even though he, you know, he left in the end. Yeah. yeah, they did get pretty close to the Saints. So, yeah, with those guys as a – Combination as well as the other players that they had, yeah, they probably would have, yeah, they would have made on. a fair shake, shake of it most of the time. Yeah. What does your job consist of? Like, for example, like what would a regular day or week kind of look like in your shoes? Like, oh, the, 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 key, the key is it's just ever changing, Blair. Um, right at the moment, one of the, the, the key issues that we're dealing with as a business and behind the scenes, it's not very sexy, as I put in, in, in comments, is um, the salary cap changes with COVID um, club. And you'll read, you could read a really, uh, some really interesting articles on AFL.com at the moment on it, how, you know, the AFL and the Players Association have come up with an agreement, then the clubs are changing that. So we're working really closely with clubs about how they're attacking um, the, t- the, you know, the salary cap next year and what player cuts are going to look like. So it's, it's just not a standard across the board. Every club's got a different view on it. So it's taking an enormous amount of time, um, especially for you know, one of our key staff, Georgie Gardner, who does a lot of work in that area. Yeah, because yeah, from yeah, COVID last year, I guess everything would have a bit of a flow-on effect and even with it still lingering around, hopefully this year's, better with crowds and financially and things like that but yeah we're just really hoping we can go and watch football whether that's underage football or that's you know the the seniors and hopefully we can travel we we haven't been able to travel you know to some of these states for a long time um robbie d'arazio who's a partner in our business he was just he was just lucky enough to go to um sydney and you know that was good but now the borders are closed again so we'll see what happens yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes it really, um, really tough to kind of communicate with the players through that COVID environment yeah. as well, because if you can't go to states and watch them and that. Yeah. What would be some advice for 
youngsters like kind of like us trying to make it into maybe a sports career like within journalism management or media kind of industries? Yeah. I think you're doing a great job just what you're doing right now. You, you know, the industry you want to break into, the sports media industry is really competitive. Um, so you've got to, you just can't do the degree and just think it's just going to happen. You've got to um, stand out from the rest. You've got to be, except if you're going to, you know, just like you're trying to get people on this podcast, you're going to get some knockbacks and you've got to just keep going. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a believer in what the angle you're taking is a really strong one and, you know, you'll have a great body of work to show people and how you're going, which I, I really, you know, admire. Yeah, just keep having a crack and just pushing on and yeah. trying trying yeah. things within that sort of. Yeah, use your net, like keep your networks going and, um, you know, make your resume bounce off the page a bit. So you're going to have to, whether it's get involved in the community or your, you know, so you'll find ways and avenues that you can get involved. Yeah, sure. And, like, we had Xavier Ellis on as well and he kind of said um, – if you like, you're going to get people say no, and you, just, you keep having a crack. The more you ask, the more yeses you'll kind of get along the way. So, yeah, yeah needs with um, radio station in Perth, I think, and yeah, yeah so sort of things he's like that. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, he's a beauty. Yeah, I understand it would be pretty competitive environment, like you just said. Do player managers ever clash heads or um, get in feuds as such? Yeah, I think we're really competitive. Like that's you know we we are competitive beasts. So we, I think there's a lot of mutual respect within the agents, but you know there's some strong um, character. You know, people have got strong opinions, and at some stage those opinions we have some conferences and you know there, there's a bit of butting of heads. Um, you know, people don't like to take a backward step, but overall there's a healthy respect and. I think with all things, you might have a little tiff, but hopefully you sort it out and move on. But, yeah, you know, they've been known to be the odd, you know, clash, especially when one player might move from one agency to another. Yeah. No one ever wants to accept that you did something wrong. It's always the other person's fault. So, you know, as managers, we've probably got to look at what we're doing and if we've done everything right, you're not going to get it right all the time. Yeah, yeah, and I guess coming into, like, drafts, it would probably be pretty competitive as everyone's probably trying to get those those big names in that top few. Yeah, and I think I think we're pretty good at we fight really hard for that and then we shake hands and we move on. So well played, yeah. Where the stress can come is, you know, fast forward five years down the track and a player moves, you know, I think we're always looking at what did the other agent do to us instead of what didn't we do as an agent for the player. Yeah. You have you now have over 100 clients, I believe. You must be pretty proud of what you've achieved thus far when you look back at a young fellow, 26, just starting his own business. Like I said, not really probably knowing as much as you um, – well, definitely not as much as you do now. You must be pretty proud to look back on that a bit. Yeah, we've got around that figure. We're, we're, um, yeah, we've got a really good team and I think it's important we talk about the team of, you know, I've got – um, staff that stay and, and, and stay for a long time. Melissa Oberhoff has just left recently after 10 years. She's gone to London to work for Mercedes-Benz Formula One. Um, Georgie Garner, as we said, has been there for plus seven. Robbie DeRazio is now a shareholder and business partner. And Nick Geishan's come across from TLA and, you know, we couldn't be more pleased with how Nick's working out. And, you know, we've also got 
um, Nathan Freeman. I don't know if you know Nathan. He's a great story. Someone you should yeah. you should speak. Yeah, the, what, yeah, great yeah, story of resilience. Um, yeah. Was drafted top ten to Collingwood. Um, traded to St Kilda. We think he's gone through every emotion that one of our draft picks has gone through, and yeah, he's just a beauty. And then we've got Izzy Hardwick, a good tiger, and um, yeah. she's yeah. working in the office too. Yeah, no, cool. yeah. I think um, early days. I think we actually had Alex Johnson on as well, and he's kind of like that resilient story and um, amazing. He's been through it all and still kept fighting to play the game he loves. So yeah, he's oh, the best story going around, isn't he, Alex? Yeah, yeah. so no frame would be likewise would be really good. Yeah, yeah. You manage players' um, media work and their finances. So when they've That's got right. an interview or uh, stuff like that, is that uh, on the back of your management sort of? Doing that? Well, mostly, but a lot of um, the interviews now are handled like, you know, there's media commitment, especially after the game. So if, if someone was doing a deal with um, Foxtel to be on the couch, or we, we would probably manage that, whereas a lot of them are managed by the clubs. Uh, but if Chris Judd was doing a deal or Luke Hodge was, was Channel 7, we would, we, would like, we would think that we help facilitate that. So that, that is a definite role that we play. Yes. Um, I'm, an yeah. I'm an accountant by trade, so that's one area that we're really hands-on as well. Yeah, yeah so sort of if they're going to be on like a show like the, the footy show, you sort of run that part, but if it was like an interview at training, yes. the club sort of take hold probably a bit more? Totally, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought of expanding the management business to kind of incorporate a wider range of um, things? Like Such a such a great question, Blair. Um, uh, certainly, cricket was one area that I that I got excited about, and you know, in my mind, dabbled. There were just a couple of instances with why I didn't pursue that, and yeah. you know, in many respects, I'm happy not to be in it and just love it for the game that it is, and I just love cricket, so um, I'm probably comfortable with that aspect. Yeah, 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 because I, I like I think so, probably some other um, people in the like that management. Um, industry would like to go through and and it's probably tempting I guess to try and get other sports you love as well involved yeah no, it, is, it is tempting but I, I've been really um, strong on sticking to what I say sticking to the knitting and um, yeah. that's AFL and really comfortable with what we've done yeah yeah, yeah. Jamari Hagen, uh obviously the number one pick of uh, uh, last year how and when did you come across him He's from down our way originally, I think, uh, from Warrnambool. Yep. And I would be interested, yeah, just to know how you sort of got him on board. Well, I, I remember we were watching him as a, as a young Scotch boy playing for um, Scotch College in Year 10. Uh, Robbie DeRazio has a really good relationship with, with Scotch College and the Indigenous program. And um, you know, Robbie started helping Jamara at an early age with, with the support of the school and um, and the family and, yeah, that, that, that relationship just built over time and then the relationship was there. And so by the time management came about, I think he was really comfortable with Robbie. Um, so, yeah, we're really pleased. And, you know, Jamar is a great, a great young talent. Might, you know, take time. So, you know, if we think back to Ben King, he just didn't play automatically in his first year. So, um, you know, the tall players don't just walk in and Western Bulldogs are a really good side. So... Uh, we might take see a while. We won't see him play eighteen games this year. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Connor yeah. actually played a game. But he's exciting. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, Connor, I actually played against him a couple of years ago in the Hamden League. Um, so that's why we've kind of kind of playing for Hamilton against South Warnable and come up against him. And yeah, it's pretty handy to play. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was pretty cool. Like, it was, it was good. He was good then, but I think he really took massive steps. Really come on in uh, that last uh, TSC Cup year or a Nabwe year. I think that's when he took old. But yeah, he was pretty talented uh, back then. Really I would say. We watched him as a centre half back. He kicks it really well for a you know a six foot five you know tall player yeah. and runs really well. Uh, yeah, I think we've got a, yeah Western Bulldogs have got a lot to be excited about. Yeah, for yeah, sure. sure. Exciting talent. Um, the COVID breach with that draft camp kind of was well documented in the media and stuff, and there was yep. a fine that was handed down. Um, what kind of happened there, if you don't mind us asking about that? Oh, look, I think I was on the record at the time. You know, we, we had the best of intentions, and, you know, there's a, there's a really big article on AFL.com tonight about the lack of training too for these 18-year-olds coming through. And if you think about it in hindsight, the whole – Season was shut down. So we we stand by the fact that we, we had the best of intentions. It was the tiniest of technicalities in my humble view, Blair and Connor. And, um, you know, we, we, we only had the best of, best wishes of the players at heart. And I'm sure if the recruiters, if you ask them, they were really happy with it. We I could debate the rules with you or the AFLPA, but we, we took our medicine we, you know, and we moved on. Yeah, and I guess in that like in that industry and with the COVID environment, it makes it pretty tough with, like you said, little tiny technicalities like that. It's a lot of you can't, like there's a lines where you just don't know where they are kind of are, you know. It's a bit blurry. Yeah. I, I, you know, as an agent of 20 years in the game, we probably should, but if I didn't, you know, um, you know hand on heart, we didn't know we were doing anything wrong and I still probably don't think we were, but, you know, we put a hand up and we move on. Yeah, and there's probably no other way um, to kind of, when this code environment's been, it's hard to see like draft and get them to train, like you said, and and you can't go to other states, and it just makes it really tough to um, see yeah, these coming through. Yeah, what has been some of the hardest uh, trades that you've sort of pulled off? If you were to name a few, like the the super draft, there was probably a, a couple with Hodgie and things like that. A fair some bit of preparation that, into it. Some of the hardest trades are really the lesser light ones that you don't read about. You know, whether it was Marley Williams going from Collingwood to North Melbourne, you know, that, that was a really, you know, for Marley Williams, it's the most important trade in the world. He he doesn't care about any other trade. But, you know, there was some really hard times there about does he does he go to Brisbane, does he go to um, North? And, you know, in hindsight, he was really, you know, that was a tough trade. You know, guy you don't know, but... A, well, you might know, but Richard Hadley moved from Brisbane. Brisbane were an awesome team, a bit like Richmond. He needed opportunities. So he went to uh, Carlton, and that was a really late trade, but so satisfying. That's one of the you know, most satisfying trades, and they are, whereas sometimes, e.g., a danger trading to Geelong, that, that just happened without too much intervention. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah there's, there's so many. We've got some, you know, uh, hilarious stories, you know, I could write about, you know, that last day of trade, you know, loop ball didn't get traded, but then ends up going in the national draft gets traded. Um, that was before future picks. So now that future picks can come into it, it's, it's making things a bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. A lot of things sort of happen on those well, all throughout the trade period, but on the last day, it's pretty frantic, yeah. pretty frantic. Trying to get 
30, um, 30, 30 egos bouncing around a room, including myself, you know what I mean? So there's, there's no doubt there's going to be a bit of um, chest puffing and um, beating and, you know, so, you know, and that sort of causes angst now and again. But, yeah, you know, look, at Papley, Papley didn't get traded and, he, and he's recommitted to the Swans and, you know, we love that. So clubs are allowed to stand their ground now. now. So just because you want to trade doesn't mean it happens, especially if you're in contract. Yeah. yeah. I reckon that's about all the questions we have for you, Paul. Um, and if you had Dandre Hodges' number, we'd gladly accept that as well. But, no, nah, um, thanks for giving us the time of day to have a chat and really appreciate it as obviously you. I was hoping to go down these kind of career um, your knowledge is really valuable and great insight into the industry yeah we've learned a bit of that you'll have to send me a link of where it is boys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. definitely make sure I do that Paul yeah. really appreciate that cheers bye <laughs>